Support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily, commercial properties, and property management in the southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Additional support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who has worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Short ribs used to be cheap because they were tough and considered a lesser cut of beef. Now they're expensive in part because more people discovered how delicious they are, and in part because beef should be more expensive anyway. Today we're going short rib crazy, making red braised short ribs, 48-hour sous vide short ribs, and chili made with, yep, short ribs. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. can come from a lot of different places because the ribs of a cow are pretty long. At the top, they start in the chuck and end at the end of the rib section, sitting just below the ribeye. Towards the bottom, they taper off into the brisket up front and the plate, which is the usual piece used for pastrami, in the rear. You can't really consider it a single cut at all because depending on where it comes from, it'll have different characteristics. It can be fattier, chewier, beefier, or leaner, and unless you've got a custom butcher, you're not going to have any control over where it comes from. Fortunately, they're all quite delicious when cooked low and slow, as pretty much everybody from Koreans to Eastern European Jews figured out a long time ago. They're maybe the best thing you can start with if you're afraid of braising. Maybe you've had too many pot roasts made out of dry, lean, flavorless bottom round. Maybe you believed the grocery store when they put a bunch of random trimmings in a tray labeled it stew meat, and then a couple of hours later, you ended up with a plate full of pale, chewy cubes. Maybe you've just gotten all the mileage you can get out of a chuck roast, a packet of onion soup mix, and a crock pot, and you're looking for something different. The answer is short ribs. You can't screw them up. They are the easiest thing on the cow to cook. There's enough fat to lubricate things if you cook them too hot for too long, and there's enough collagen to dissolve between the muscle strands so that even if you turn the strands themselves into rope, the slippery collagen will keep things moving. The only rules in cooking short ribs is to get a nice sear, use at least one other strongly flavored component, and when in doubt, cook it some more. They're adaptable to everything, from the thinnest, cheapest pan on some dodgy electric stove to the most modern immersion circulators with incredibly precise thermostats. Anybody can make amazing short ribs. Wait. Ignore everything I just said. Short ribs are only for expert cooks. I don't want short ribs to get even more expensive. different from the usual sound for starting water to boil which is that it's not going to boil that water it's just heating up i finally after all this time got around to soldering a new power cord onto my sous vide machine which has been out of commission for a while you know one of those minor projects that you swear you're going to get to and then just never get around to it and then when you actually get around to it it takes about 10 minutes to fix and you're kicking yourself saying, why didn't I do this a very long time ago? <laughs> and there are complicated reasons for that. I'm gonna cook uh, 
short ribs here two different ways pretty excited because i love short ribs one way and the reason that i just fired up the sous vide rig i'm going to do 48 hour sous vide short ribs but we'll talk more about that later talk a little bit about that now but we'll talk more about it later because the other thing that i'm doing is a classic chinese winter stew called in this case it's red braised beef or red braised short ribs but it's uh it's the technique called red braising which is essentially making a stew with some soy sauce and some ginger and some other spices and some chicken stock some other specific flavors and uh, braising it all for a while until it gets tender and soft and delicious and i'm going to also throw some turnips into my red braise because i have some beautiful local turnips and it's, this seems like a pretty appropriate place to use them. There's sort of two really common cuts in U.S. markets anyway. So there's the, what's usually called the English cut, which is uh, a big section of bone with a big section of meat kind of on top of it, where basically they'll separate out the ribs and then cut across them two or three times, depending on how long they are, to get kind of like one substantial big chunk of meat sitting up on a bone. The other style of uh, short rib that you'll commonly see in the market is called um, flanken cut. And that's where they cut across the ribs. So you get like a little cross section of rib plus meat around it. And there'll usually be, you know, three or four ribs on a, on a single flanking piece. That was actually what I was hoping to get um, <laughs> for this particular dish. I would have rather had that because I think it's kind of an interesting texture. One of the hallmarks, I think, of, uh, of the sort of really authentic Chinese and Chinese-derived cuisines uh, is that a lot of times the way that they butcher tends to be a little different. They tend to butcher not so much to, to make like boneless pieces of meat. Like a lot of times they will butcher, you know, across bones. Like, you know, if you've ever seen like a traditionally butchered Chinese chicken, like they're pretty much hacking the thing into, into chunks with a cleaver, you know, so there's lots of bones and there's uh, lots of cartilage and there's lots of different things going on and flank and cut short ribs are kind of like that So I was kind of hoping to, to get that to sort of take advantage of it. It's a textural thing more than anything else um, I saw it described at one point. I can't remember where this was but but it was a, a Chinese person talking about how one of the great pleasures of of some of these dishes like this these braised dishes was getting the whole piece of of meat with the bone and then using your tongue to separate the bone from the meat and sort of exploring it and you know, getting some of that marrow flavor and the different sort of minerality from the bone and the way that the way that it, you know, felt in your mouth. When I used to fish and we were fishing uh, area 3B, which is south of Kodiak for halibut, a lot of times we'd deliver into Alatac on the south end of Kodiak. There's a cannery there. The workers were almost all Filipino, including the cooks. And what they would do is every day after their meal, you know, after the, the cannery crew was fed they would put out basically the leftovers and if you you know if you're a fisherman in town or you know sometimes like tugs would stop in because of weather or whatever anybody that was kind of around would go in it was called mug up you know you'd sit around drink coffee and eat kind of whatever the leftovers were and almost every time almost every time we ever that i ever went there there was almost always some sort of a, a braised stew and it always almost always it was usually pork and it almost always contained a lot of bones and that was like you kind of did you know you'd sit there and you'd sort of roll it around your mouth and make you want it a little bit and spit it back out and go on with your meal you know it's kind of an interesting texture that that is definitely not really featured in western cooking particularly as you get ascend the social hierarchy you know where even the bones that we're more comfortable with like you know chicken bones and turkey bones and stuff like that i got in trouble one time i was dating an australian girl and <laughs> I ate a turkey leg just right off the bone and she she thought that was like the most barbaric thing she'd ever seen which i thought was kind of strange but if you go to australia maybe don't eat turkey legs <laughs> i guess i don't know what the moral of that story is anyway so i did not have the flank and cut they didn't have them at the store and uh, oh we're at 140 so before i get talking too much more about the flank and cut i am going to go ahead and start my short ribs and i am literally dropping this thing in in its original packaging. I kind of, I debated cutting it open and uh, and resealing it to add some salt, but you know, there's huge debates on whether or not you should add salt to the meat beforehand for sous vide. And I typically do, but I don't think that it makes enough of a big difference. Um, and I definitely don't want kind of a cured flavor. I'm just gonna throw this in literally straight in the bag that I bought it in. These are, these are kind of a cool, like I would call this Frenching personally. 
because that's usually what you call it when you scrape the bone back and make everything be up at one end of the bone. But this is like basically like a half a rib. I got this at McNeil where they peeled back the short rib from the bone for about two thirds of the way down and peeled the flap of meat back and then rolled it up and tied it. And it's a really cool presentation. Um, I think you could also call it a lollipop. And then they, they tie it so it stays shut. I just <laughs> dropped it, price tag and all, into my simmering basin of 140 degree water. And it is just gonna sit there for 48 hours. This is Christmas Eve dinner is what I'm starting there. At dinner time on Christmas Eve, I'll pull it out and we'll finish it, but that's coming. We're not there yet. Uh, first, we have to make dinner for tonight, which is also gonna be short ribs because the name of the show is Short Ribs. And this was another one of those lollipop cuts because that was the only other kind of short rib they had. I cut the meat off and unrolled it, and now I've sliced it into little chunks of, you know, about an inch, three quarters of an inch, something like that. Just little small chunks of beef. And I made uh, some chicken stock too out of a roasted chicken carcass that I had. And I just went ahead and threw the bone that I peeled this off of, the short, the rib bone. I just threw that in the uh, stock too, so. So I am getting this particular recipe out of, as will probably not surprise anybody who knows me. This is a, this is from Fuchsia Dunlop, who is sort of the preeminent Western translator of Chinese cooking these days. And this is, Essentially a slight adaptation of her recipe for red braised beef. She adds tofu. I do not have any tofu, um, I, but I do have turnips, so I'm gonna add turnips. And the first thing that she does, which is one of those steps that you'll see very often in Chinese cooking and is not nearly as common in Western cooking, which is that the first thing that I've done is heated up some water to the boil. And now I've dropped in my chunks of beef. And all I'm gonna do now is bring, the, bring it back up to a boil. And the idea here is that we're basically trying to get rid of the impurities on the outside of the beef, um, any sort of stray proteins that might cloud up the broth or muddy up the flavor. I mean, typically like you would, you know, if you were making a stock or something like that, it's pretty common to blanch your meat beforehand. But most of the time in Western cooking, we tend to brown and you know, try to get a, a sear and a fawn on the outside, but this is not the Chinese technique. I have found that if I do not follow the letter of recipes from cuisines that are not my native cuisine or very closely re related to my native cuisine, that uh, <laughs> they tend to not work as well as they sort of should. I have learned my lesson. So I'm supposed to bring this just back to the boil just until it starts to throw off kind of the protein sort of scum. And then the idea is that I have a much cleaner tasting stock, no discoloration, no muddiness to it. Sort of a little fresher and more vibrant. Roasting sort of accomplishes similar things as, and so does, uh, so does searing in a pan. In that case, you're, you're just getting some extra flavor, some extra Maillard reaction out of them. But that's not a flavor that we're looking for there anyway. <laughs> in this because here you get most of the sort of dark sort of complex flavors from the soy sauce. So you don't really need two things competing with each other for the dark complex stuff. While I'm bringing that back to a boil, we're just about there. There was one thing I'm not really sure here. This recipe calls for sweet fermented sauce, which is not something. Aha, oh, it's hoisin. <laughs> it doesn't call it hoisin in this book anyway but the way that's described, it's a, a sweet dark sauce that's meant to go with roast pork and roast duck. So that's pretty much poison. Get rid, get the rest of this going. So I'm gonna get out my wok. Got a little bit of chopping to do, and then we can get going. I need to smash a nice chunk of ginger, unpeeled, smash it up, and I need the white parts of some green onions. betraying her Sichuan learning. Every region is gonna do it a little bit differently because she cut her teeth in, in Sichuan. This is a Sichuanese version. She calls for peanut oil. I don't have peanut oil, but as always, I do have lard. Lard's better, right? Pretty sure that's what they would wanna use in China. So, a nice chunk of lard ready to go i just cranked my heat to as high as it'll go in my wok 
And I just gotta let the wok heat up. And I believe I have my mise en place all ready to go. Need to get my spoonful of Dobinjang, the very famous Szechuanese chili and fermented fava bean paste, which is really delicious. It's not like crazy hot. I mean, it's definitely got like some heat to it, but it's it's got this really like overwhelmingly just deep sort of funky, funky flavor and uh, it's tasty stuff. So it is a specialty of Sichuan. You will find it in damn near every recipe that I've that I've seen for at least for savory stuff. All right. Dump the lard in. Couple tablespoons. Melt completely here. And there we go. There's my Dovin Jang. Spread that around. That's a couple of tablespoons of that too. That's really it's really easy to find online. It's got a really nice red color too from the from the chilies. It's really beautiful stuff. There's that. The ginger, the green onions, a little bit of star anise. And a few Sichuan peppercorns as well. We are just gonna stir that just for a minute. And finally, well not finally, but here's my hoisin. Drop that in. Stir fry the hoisin for just a second. Add my chicken stock. A nice generous amount of chicken stock. Bring this up to a boil. Grab saucepan here. The one that I use to blanch my beef in. It's gonna be my main cooking vessel here in just a second. Pour my beef back into my saucepan and Oh, there was one more thing. It was actually in a different recipe for almost the same dish um, that was from her Sichuan cookbook. Can't remember the name of the, the spice now, but it, it's described as cardamom light. And I think uh, I think cardamom will make an acceptable substitute there. So dropped in a cardamom pod. Because cardamom's yummy, you know? What else do we have here? All right, I need a little shousing wine in the beef. A couple tablespoons, a little bit of Dark soy sauce, which I think I have some. There it is, dark soy sauce. I'll also add with the Shaozing wine, just a tablespoon or so. And that gives it a nice color. Dark soy sauce in all the all the uh, reference books I've ever read suggest that it's more, typically more used for color than anything else. It's a little sweet. I think they use caramel color to, to color it. Nice hot red braised liquid. I'll go ahead and add that. All that happens now is our wait. <laughs> this is a lot of waiting. If you're gonna cook short ribs, you're gonna, you're gonna wait. And you know, other thing that I'm going to do, because I haven't decided exactly what the components of my final sauce for, for our Christmas Eve short ribs is gonna be, do know that I want some very reduced stock for it. So I'm going to reduce the heck out of this chicken stock. It's about probably a quart. And I'm going to get that simmering already. That's a really, that's a really sensational smell. So I'm not gonna add the turnips right now because this is gonna have to cook for at least a couple hours. So I'll add the turnips in about an hour. It won't take as long to cook. I'm gonna cover the pot, not all the way. I'm gonna leave it a little cracked. She said, she tells me to leave it partially cracked. So I'm going to do that and then I can walk away and I need to put some saran wrap over the top of my sous vide short ribs, which aren't gonna be ready for another two days. So we can take a little break here, a pause in the activity. So it's an hour later and the smell in my kitchen is pretty intoxicating right now. It's quite delicious smelling. I just turned off my reducing chicken stock and I reduced my roughly quart of chicken stock down to maybe a cup. So that should be nice, a nice base for whatever I decide to do sauce wise for the sous vide 48 hour short ribs. Oh, it's, ooh, man, it's quite delicious looking 
pot of red braised beef. It is definitely getting tender, but it's also definitely not quite there yet, which is good. It's gonna take another hour or so. So now is gonna be the time when I add my turnips. These lovely local turnips. I go in there, make a nice addition to the winter stew. So I'm gonna peel them real quick, and then I'm gonna slice them, cut them to be, so they're kind of about the same sort of size as the, as the beef. You know, so you're getting kind of a consistent mouthfeel. These aren't particularly large turnips. They're fairly skinny. And there is three. Push my peels aside. Another stem end, cut off the root end. And the most important thing is I don't want it to be super thick. Maybe a quarter of an inch. Cut them into little coins. I think that'll be a nice addition here. Just straight across. I'm not cutting them in half. Of course, if, if you're using like big, like supermarket turnips, you probably want to dice them down a little further. But these just, you know, roughly the same thickness as the beef. We want them to coexist happily together. There we go. And that's three sort of small local turnips. And I'm just gonna throw them right there in the pot. And oh, they look so pretty in there. And we'll just let this go at this same bare simmer for another hour. And then we should be ready to finish this off. Uh, I gotta set my alarm so I remember to start steaming my rice in about a half hour because I gotta have some rice. And then I think I will also do a quick little stir fry of some bok choy. That'll do us for this meal. So we shall return. Okay, just about done here. I got some bok choy. I'm just gonna stir fry it with a little bit of garlic just to have a nice green stir fry vegetable. Go along with my beef. I also made some rice. I steamed some rice and I'm gonna take a quick little, I mean, this stuff looks amazing. Mmm, oh, that's good. Ooh, oh yeah. Oh, that's delicious. I just took a little chunk of uh, the beef. It's really, really nice. There's the tiniest little tingle all the way in the back of my throat from the Dobinjang, but it's definitely not like overpowering or anything. Once again, I have very smartly done the dishes while I was recording. I'm gonna try one of these turnips too. While I'm waiting, mm, cough, mm -hmm. oh yeah. We started to bring out a little bit of the sweetness of the turnip, but it's also still got that kind of peppery spiciness that a turnip kind of always has, you know? It's always gonna have a little bit of a bite. Disrespected vegetable, the turnip. If I was just making this for myself or if I was making it for people who liked a little more heat, I would definitely add some chili oil and or some maybe some crushed dried chilies or something to this bok choy. I think it'd be really delicious, but it's not just for me, so I'm not gonna do it. Hot wok, cold lard, in goes a little bit of garlic, just till I smell it, which is now. And let's toss in the, the stemmier parts of the bok choy first. Those just about a minute and add the leafier end of the bok choy. That go for just a minute. And now I'm just gonna add a little bit of soy. Maybe a tablespoon, about the same, Shaozing wine, and a little splash of Junjang vinegar, black vinegar, kind of sweet, a little bit, almost, almost kind of malty. Not quite like malt vinegar, but it, you know, it's, similar to the same family for sure it's a rice very dark rice vinegar and do I need anything else nope I don't there we go so very excited red braised beef made with short ribs some steamed rice and some bok choy really you know it took a while to braise the beef but it really wasn't any particularly difficult steps very flexible recipe. You can make it with a lot of different kinds of beef. You can make it with other root vegetables, but I made it this way and now I'm gonna go eat because I'm hungry. Well, it is actually almost exactly 48 hours later. The sous vide, the immersion circulator is still running 
merrily away with my short ribs in it. And I can probably pull it right now and cook it, except it's not dinner time yet. So I'm just gonna leave it in there. One of the really nice things about sous vide is uh, obviously <laughs> the timing is not super critical. Once you've hit the point that you're looking for, you've, you know, I mean, as long as you're not like overshooting it by, you know, 10 or 12 hours, then uh, you're pretty well good to go. Just doing some prep so that actually making dinner tonight, it's Christmas Eve, should be fairly straightforward. I am currently making, getting the sauce ready. And I decided to just go with a really basic with my chicken stock that I simmered down to, now it's a very, <laughs> it's an extremely firm jelly, which is what I want. And I've just dropped it into a pot of wine. There's a fair amount of wine in there because I want to reduce this wine down quite a bit. And I think I mentioned it on the show before, but it's always a good idea when you're reducing red wine to make sure you've got something with some protein in it. Um, the tannins in red wine can become harsh if they're, if they're sort of left alone, but they'll actually bind to the proteins uh, in the chicken stock as they cool down. So you don't get kind of that overly tannic note that can sometimes happen if you just reduce red wine straight. Uh, it's always, always better to have something with some protein in there to bind those tannins. Chicken stock, you could even throw just like a piece of ham or something in there or uh, some cream actually would work. There's enough protein and cream to, to help out with that. Just anything, you know, pretty much anything that does have a significant protein content. So I'm just gonna simmer that down and then I roasted some mushrooms and I'm gonna add the mushrooms to this stock and, or to this, uh, this very simple sauce. Probably finish it with some butter, I think. And not too much more than that. Really want the short ribs to kind of be the star. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna put any seasoning, any spices or anything like that. I will add, you know, obviously add some salt once I get, once I get this thing reduced to where I want it, but <laughs> it's a terrible idea to salt your stock in advance, so, so don't. Yeah, so this is pretty much, this can pretty much sit and do its thing. Just don't want to over reduce it. So we'll let that go. And now I'm gonna get prepped for my second dish, which this one's actually gonna pull double duty for me because I'm making Christmas dinner tomorrow too. I'm gonna repurpose this dish for Christmas too. What I'm making now is I'm just gonna make some really, really simple creamed leeks. Uh, I love creamed leeks. They're delicious, they're super easy to make. Everybody likes them. Even confirmed onion haters frequently will enjoy some creamed leeks. They're easy, they reheat well. And tomorrow, with whatever's left from my creamed leeks, because I'm making a fairly large batch that we're most definitely not gonna finish tonight. Tomorrow, I'm going to use the creamed leeks as part of the custard base for a leek and mushroom and Maybe blue cheese. I don't know. I'm still kind of working it up in my head. I'm going to make a galette, a savory galette to go along with the ham and the mac and cheese that I'm going to make. That'll be good. Cut down the amount of labor tomorrow. Okay, so there's my leeks. The top's trimmed down to just the white parts. Grab a strainer here. Slicing them into rounds. Definitely a little dirt in these. Dump these in a bowl, fill it with water, swish them around a little bit so that any dirt sinks to the bottom and the leeks kind of float to the top. And that's pretty good. They're not too dirty. You know, just separate out as many as you can. Run your fingers through, get the dirt out. Rather than pour through the strainer, I'm gonna just scoop them out with my hand so that any dirt that's fallen out of them stays on the bottom and doesn't Come with them into the uh, strainer. Water's a little cloudy. See some grit now at the bottom, but they're not too bad. They're usually not. They usually find that leaks typically aren't super dirty. All right. So there's that. Let those sit for just a second. Already, I can see that my red wine sauce starting to precipitate some some sediment. I will scoop out with yet another strainer, the underrated kitchen tool. Uh, scrape out that little raft of sediment there. And I got some butter going now in a heavy bottom saucepan, probably two tablespoons. I think I need a little more actually. This is three leeks, so there's quite a few leeks here. You can take a fairly solid hit of butter. 
my heavy cream. She's gonna get some use, get some use here. And I'm also gonna make some uh, gratin potatoes here in just a little bit, that's for tonight. It's all a little heavy, but you know, it's Christmas dinner. It's not supposed to be light. Definitely gonna need to strain this sauce. Fair amount of sediment in it from the wine, which is pretty normal for red wine. And this is just a, it's kind of my standard house, house red wine. It's just a really simple French, Southern, Southern French box wine. It's cheap, it's delicious, and it has chickens on it. So I'm gonna let this, I'm gonna push this butter a little bit. I'm gonna brown it just a little, because I think that'll be tasty. A little hint of brown butter in with the leeks. In go the leeks, stir them around a little, sprinkle some salt on them, roll them around in the butter. I just wanna soften them up here, sweat them a little bit, then we'll add the cream. All right, these guys are starting to soften up a little. So now I'm gonna add the cream. Not very much, just maybe a half a cup. It doesn't need a ton of cream. <laughs> We're not making soup or anything here. Cream, and I have some mustard here. I'm gonna add a little mustard. All the hard work's done now for my creamed leeks. And now, just gonna grab the cover, let it come up to a nice vigorous simmer. Okay. Slap the cover on, throw it on my simmer burner, pretty low heat. And those guys just need to cook for like probably 45 minutes, maybe an hour, we'll see. I'll just check on them now and then and see when they're done. Sauce is intensely savory. Mm. Let's see, I don't know, might need something else. But I'm gonna get going on the next bit of silliness. Make some potatoes, a gratin, very simple, very easy dish that nonetheless people think is really impressive. I'm just buttering a gratin dish. I got a small one because there's only two of us, so it doesn't need to be nine by. Here. Smash a garlic clove, cut it in half, and rub it all along the inside of my gratin dish so I get a nice, subtle yet distinctive gar garlic flavor. Classic old trick that works very well when you want garlic, but not garlic! And I'm about to bust out my mandolin, so. Probably three potatoes will be good, but I got a fourth just in case. And these are purple potatoes. They're really nice local potatoes. Some of the last ones I have. I made some purple potato gnocchi with these potatoes. That was uh, really quite delicious, I must say, and pretty. Now for these, I'm actually gonna stand them up on end, just cause I think it kinda looks cool. And you get, you get some nice crispy edges too when you do them this way. Sometimes I do them this way, sometimes I don't bother. So I'm gonna put all my potatoes in a bowl. Potatoes in a bowl. I salt the potatoes while they're in the bowl. And I'm going to add some of the cream to the potatoes in the bowl. I didn't wash these potatoes either because we want that extra starch to cling to them. We don't want to rinse that away because that's gonna help give the gratin it some of its structure so it doesn't just totally fall apart and i'm just gonna go ahead and start putting them into my gratin dish in there on their sides so we'll get some bits sticking up be a little irregular looking cool yeah, i'm gonna need another potato here i think just to fill out this dish almost but not quite one more potato is what it's gonna take my hands are all slippery from the cream, which is fun on a mandolin. But much like with the beets, purple potatoes, if you do slice yourself open, nobody will ever know. All right, drop those in there. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna have to get my hands quicker ends here because I need to sprinkle in just a pinch more salt for these potatoes so that they are evenly, delightfully salted. That is gonna fill it just perfectly. So I got my beautiful purple potatoes all stuffed in here very nicely. Grab my microplane and some whole nutmeg before I pour the cream over the top of this. 
going to grate a little fresh nutmeg so that when I pour the cream, it'll pick up some of that and carry it down into the crevasses that this thing is filled with. There we go. Nice amount of nutmeg. Turn my oven on. Let's go with 425. And now pour the cream that's left in the bowl first. And then grab a little more. Gently, gently, gently. I don't want to fill it too much. You know, you don't want to boil the cream over or anything. My wife would be mad at me if I didn't put any cheese on. So we've got some Gouda here. I'm going to go ahead and throw on top. I'm grating it, but I feel a little bit it's coming off in sort of bigger chunks too, which is totally fine because it's all just going to melt. From experience, I know that I'm going to want a baking sheet under this. Otherwise, it'll make a giant mess and it'll drip all over my pizza stone. The last thing we need is some panko for the top. Something to soak up that cream and steam. Be nice and crispy up there. Just a nice layer. I don't want to pile it too deep, so I'm covering up the cool little ridges of the purple potatoes sticking up out of it. This is actually a pretty cool looking dish. I'm really curious what to see it, what to see what it looks like when it comes out. And throw that in the oven, 425, probably take about an hour I'm imagining, maybe a little bit longer. Gratinas can sometimes take a little longer than you think. So I am uh, pretty much done with the prep for tonight, except for my sauce, which is actually getting pretty close to where I can start finishing it. And we'll talk about what I'm gonna do with the short ribs as they they bathe away in their, in their hot tub at 140 degrees. If you've never messed around with sous vide, this kind of thing, the, the 48 hour, or some people, you know, like I say, some people do 72 hour at an even lower temperature for uh, short ribs. This is one of those recipes that really will convince you. You know, like I'm pretty sympathetic to the idea that it's, you know, kind of overkill for a lot of like steaks and stuff like that. I mean, it definitely has its place for that, but I think you can generate just as good a result with a steak on, on a, a grill. And I kind of feel that way about a lot of the ways of, of doing sous vide. I mean, there, there's a lot of them that make, particularly if you're in a high volume restaurant situation that make a ton of sense. You know, it makes a ton of sense to do like your fish or whatever sous vide. But at home, for a lot of things, I really don't find that it's much of an advantage uh, to do it. But there are things that you can do with an immersion circulator and a tub of water that you cannot do any other way. And these particular short ribs are one of them. There's no other way to make perfectly medium rare short ribs that are also incredibly tender. If you, if you just tried to sear some short ribs and leave them medium rare on the inside, they'd be so chewy and tough and nasty. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to eat them. They'd be just revolting. But ordinarily when you're cooking short ribs, they're always going to have, you know, you, you pretty much always have to push them to, you know, generally pretty high temp. And if you're not careful and if you don't do it in such a way that, that it doesn't like expel all the water, it's really easy to, to make the meat itself kind of tough, kind of dry and stringy. Fortunately, short ribs are pretty forgiving because they have so much fat, but it's still, I mean, it's possible. It definitely happens if you do it, you know, if you cook them too hot, too fast, um, it can happen. Or if you cook them too slow for too long, it can also happen because it's really hard to cook any food under temperature of boiling water, unless you have an immersion circulator, because it can be, it's so precise that it just keeps it at the right temperature and it's magic. And by holding it at that temperature for, for as long as you do, the collagen still breaks down. It just takes a lot longer at these low temperatures, but the moisture and the water in the meat is not driven out to nearly the extent of a braise or any kind of a low temp stovetop or oven cooking method. You just lose way more moisture because the temperatures are so much higher. And this way, that doesn't happen. And the fat still renders 
because it's in there for so long, it just takes a, you know, again, it takes longer. The muscle fibers don't squeeze down as hard as they do when they're under a higher temp. It, it's a much gentler process. And so the result is that you get this incredibly like butter tender, super soft, but still like very well marbled and, and really amazing uh, texture. You know, it's like, it's almost like the texture of, of a filet joins with like the fattiness and the richness and the mouthfeel of a good ribeye. It kind of unites the two almost, but it's not, even then it's still a little different, you know, like short ribs are just, they've got a unique flavor. They're super beefy. They have like almost kind of a minerally, almost like a little gamey flavor, you know, like they're pretty intense and, uh, and getting that in this package is really pretty incredible. So what I'm going to do, and I'm probably not going to, record this happening because it's going to be, I'm going to be basically putting it on the table immediately when it's done here. Um, but what I'm going to do, and I actually thought about dragging my grill out from under the tree where it lives in the winter. You know, there's, it's, it's covered with snow right now, but I thought about it and I was like, you know, that's a lot of trouble for something that's going to take like three minutes to grill. So, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on, I'm going to heat up a, a skillet, a cast iron skillet to crazy, as screaming hot as I can get it on my, uh, on my biggest burner and plop that and take it out, take it out of the bag, pat it dry, because as we all know, wet meat won't really brown, pat it dry with some paper towels. And basically right after I take it out of the sous vide and, uh, slam it down on this screaming hot skillet until I get a crust, flip it over until I get a crust and then get the get the sides too and you know get as much of a crust as i can and then we'll serve it that way i'm very excited to actually probably slice it um across the across it and plop it down on the plate pour some of this sauce on it with the mushrooms and maybe even some blue cheese so that's my plan here and then tomorrow for christmas ooh, look at that i just took the oh look at that oh those are beautiful pop the cover off the leaks. The leaks are releasing tons and tons of gorgeous leak juice into this beautiful sauce. So we're going to have, we're going to have some creamed leeks tonight. And then tomorrow I'm going to use the leftover cream leeks. I'm going to put a couple of uh, egg yolks and some farmer's cheese in them and use that as the custard base for a mushroom and some other stuff. <laughs> I don't know what else going on top of it yet. That's the beauty of galettes. You don't have to think, you don't have to plan them too hard. And that'll go with our ham. We'll make a ham and some mac and cheese and a bass cake. I'm making a bass cake for Christmas dessert because I have a ton of almond flour and I really like bass cakes. And everybody that's coming over tomorrow really likes them too. So, okay, right now it's a little harsh. It's super one dimensional. Um, but that's okay because all we have in here is wine and chicken stock. So I got a little tomato paste. That's actually pretty classic in wine sauces. I'm going to add that, but I need to brown it first. You always got to cook your tomato paste a little before it goes into whatever you're doing with it. So I just grab a little skillet. This will give it some acidity and a little sweetness. Cook it till it turns brick red. And I personally, I, I always buy the kind in the tube now. I used to buy the cans, but the cans are always too big, you know? The, it's hard to use a whole can of tomato paste in it. So let's plop that sauce. Do a quick stir. Whisk. Give it a taste now. Mm. Ooh, that's a lot better. Yeah, it definitely needed the sweetness and it definitely needed the acidity. I actually think it needs some herbiness. And I like to get my herbiness from thyme. I love thyme. My favorite herb. And I'm also going to throw a bay leaf in here to simmer a little bit. I'm going to strain this all out through my strainer before the, uh, before I add the butter at the very end. I add a little knob of butter, which the butter is like really the secret to a lot of these sauces that are just like reductions because they will be like kind of intense and almost like a little overpowering when you first make them. They're, it, they're too much, you know, but then you add a little bit of butter and the body gets really silky. It, it gets a really beautiful texture and the butter sort of tamps down and uh, brings into sort of harmony 
all the the competing sort of harshness because boiled down red wine and boiled down chicken stock they're both very intense and they're very they're a little bit harsh you know they have a little bit of a like oh whoa it's like too much you know but if you just sort of round the edges off the butter's like the sandpaper for a for a sauce you might have thought like beforehand you're like oh that's pretty good you know it's that's not bad and then you add that little pinch of butter and all of a sudden it's magic oh yeah oh man now it smells good Mm. Oh yeah. In fact, I'm going to turn that off because I don't want it to reduce anymore. And I'm just going to let the, the bay leaf and the thyme infuse. And then I'll strain it out. And right before service, make sure it's hot, stir a little bit of butter into it. And that's my Christmas dinner. I hope you'll forgive me for not giving you the exciting sound of the uh, short rib hitting the pan. <laughs> All right, for our final trick today, <laughs> I'm gonna do something that, it's probably a huge mistake, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna make some bit of a, with some short ribs. Now, I lived in Texas for oh, six years, something like that. It wasn't my favorite place in the world, let's put it that way. But one thing that Texans are proud of, and justifiably so, I think, is, uh, is chili. It is a, Let's give credit where credit is due. It is a fabulous dish, although it has much more to do with Mexico than it does with anything, particularly modern Texas. That's how she goes in this world. So I'm gonna make some chili. I bought some short ribs. These are the flank and cut across the bone. You get a lot more meat and a lot less bone. I cut them into, into big chunks right now. I'm gonna sear them real quick, and then I'm gonna cut the uh, cut these short ribs into much smaller pieces. Anytime you're making like a beef stew, anything with like smaller chunks of beef, it's actually a pretty good idea to cut them into kind of big chunks first and brown them that way, because you've probably noticed this, but if you if you try to brown a lot of pieces, small pieces of meat in the, in the same pan, a lot of times they'll give off a lot of water. They don't brown as well. There we go. It'll just, everything will happen a lot quicker if you do it this way. So my other preparations here is I have a whole bunch of the main ingredient, which is not beef. The main ingredient of this stuff is uh, chilies, of course. That's why it's called chili. I got pretty substantial amount of dried chilies here. These are, they're a mixture of things. Some are some anchos that I got at the supermarket. And a lot of them are actually uh, ones from my greenhouse that I dried. There's always big arguments, you know, about what's supposed to go into chili, into chili and what's not allowed and all this kind of stuff. And I, I guarantee you that I'm gonna break somebody's rule here. But in general, yes, I do come down on the side of uh, no beans. I agree with them there. And I'm also down on the side of uh, no tomatoes either. I, I see a lot of tomatoes in some chilies and I think they're, and what I think chili's better without them. Really, the red flavor and the sauce itself should be mostly actual chilies. I soaked my dried chilies, they soaked for probably an hour. So they're nice and soft and reconstituted. And I'm just slicing them real quick and I'm putting them in my mortar and pestle because I'm gonna start grinding these into a paste. It's really a pretty simple dish. Like there's actually not a lot of ingredients in a, in a well-made chili. I've got some onions chopped. Those are gonna go in in a little bit. I'm gonna put some garlic in because I like garlic and uh, a little bit of cumin and a little coriander. Not too much because I don't want to detract too much from the chilies. Nice browning on the first short ribs. And I'm only browning them on one side. You know, I'm not trying to like cook these things super hard. I'm just trying to generate a little bit of extra flavor and try to get a little bit of uh, a little fond on the bottom. Just give it an extra dimension, you know? So while I'm waiting for those to brown, I'll go over to my mortar and pestle. I'm just gonna start, just gonna start mashing chilies down, kind of aggro with them. Definitely looking for a paste here. I'm gonna add a little salt in here just to give it something to grind. So I'm dropping in my onions. Turn that down a little. I don't want these to brown. I just want to sweat them. There is a debate about onions as well. Some people say you shouldn't put onions in chili. I am not of that opinion. Toast a little cumin, toast a little coriander, and yeah, drop some white pepper in too. Just until they're toasted, drop them. They're a little fragrant. 
popping into my mortar and pestle and continue to go to town add a little more salt salt and the spices once you start getting the, the chilies mostly pulverized they'll sort of act as as a grit that'll help you to get it a little finer grab a couple of cloves of garlic because i like garlic i mean i just like it all right i'm gonna add garlic into my chili paste as well rough chop these garlic I'm just putting a couple cloves in, but they're big cloves and they're, I think I'm down to this stuff that's from my garden. So they're pretty pungent. And just pounding those into my thick red chili paste, which is now, mmm, woo, yeah. Very intoxicating smelling. Now, if I was a Mexican grandmother, I would probably do that for another 45 minutes and it would be the best thing you ever ate. But I don't think you want to listen to 45 minutes of me grinding chilies. Pretty good for a gringo. Scrape that off. So I just added a little bit of the chili water in my into the mortar directly because I want to make sure, you know, these are going in. They're going into a fairly hot pan without a lot of cushioning. So I want to make sure there's some some water to absorb some of the heat right away. Go ahead and add this awesome, delicious. Oh man. Oh yeah. Oh. oh, that smells good. Oh, that smells good. Now I've got a nice paste of onions, my chili paste, and it is cooking. Just gonna cook that down just a little bit while I slice up my beef. Just gonna cut it into fairly small sort of cubes, three eighths of an inch cubes, maybe. And I am gonna throw the bones in there. So I'm just slicing the meat off the bone and then kind of getting you know, the little ends of the bone of what's left on the bone. So nice. There's a lot of collagen. There's a lot of, there's a significant quantity of fat. There's a lot of very terrific, very flavorful meat here. The bones will leach out a little marrow. Flavor hitting us from all angles. I'm not adding my liquid just yet. So I want to make sure I add just the right amount. Plus I always feel like when I'm making like a stew or something, I have no idea if this is really <laughs> scientifically a thing or not but i like to if i can sort of marinate or cook the get the initial cooking of you know my my main meat or protein or whatever going before i start adding the liquid i feel like maybe it helps it absorb some of that beautiful flavorful paste into its very pores you know add in the dregs of my meat juice Add all my meat, my beautiful short ribs. Now I'm gonna stir them. This looks good. Light years beyond stuff in a can. The watery stuff with big chunks of tomato floating around in it. Something that like 80% beans, and a little bit of ground beef. Yeah. All right, scrape the last of this. I'm gonna pour the chili, the water into my mortar and pestle. Get the last of the mortar and pestle stuff going just to finish off my liquid because it needs to be a little liquidy at the beginning because it's going to take a little while for this to cook down and uh, we're going to lose quite a bit of quite a bit of water so i'm just going to add plain water a lot of people would sort of automatically reach for the chicken stock and, and it wouldn't be you know i mean there's nothing wrong with it it'd be very delicious and tasty but sometimes, particularly when I'm cooking things that are really, really highly flavored like this, with a handful of sort of very intense flavors that are sort of competing with each other a little bit and, and that you're trying to sort of harmonize together, I actually like just the clean sort of flavor of water. You know, it's almost like it's, it's easier for them to be what they are. Like they're transformative enough. The water itself just allows them to be the flavor that they are. It's not everything that I'm like that. With something like this, where there's a lot of really big, intense flavors, I kind of am. So I'm going to put that on my simmer burner, and I'm going to let that go for, I don't know how long it's going to take. It's going to be at least an hour, I think. Probably an hour and a half later, maybe. And we are pretty well there. Mmm. Ooh, that's good. Yes. The short ribs themselves are completely lovely and tender and soft um i did add a little bit more water mostly so it'll absorb this sort of last wrinkle that i'm about to pull here but this is a uh, this is dynamite even texans would have to admit it they wouldn't want to they don't like giving credit to anybody from louisiana 
ever. I'm not going to say this is better chili than you can get anywhere in Texas, but this is a solid chili. So I'm just pulling the bones out right now. And I actually want to thin it out a little bit more because there is a last, and I don't remember where I picked this up. I don't, I can't even remember if it's like a full on regular thing with chili. The first time I tried it, I was like, man, this is awesome. So I just put in a couple of generous tablespoons of masa, masa harina, nixtamalized corn flour. Part of the reason that I made it a little more liquidy at the end here is so that the masa would have some liquid to work with. It will thicken it. It will also give it a very distinctive corn flavor and a sweetness that I think that the counterpoint of the sweetness of the masa and the heat of the chilies, because this is not, you know, depending on what peppers you use, that's going to, that's going to tell you what kind of, you know, heat profile you have. What these are, this is definitely, it is warm. I would describe the heat as being mostly kind of on the tip of the tongue and then sort of spreading throughout the mouth. There's not a whole lot right on the back and it's definitely not like hot, you know, it's not overwhelming. If you're somebody that wanted like get your sinuses blown out, like this isn't going to do that. It is though, it is a really nice, deep, lasting uh, heat. So I put a couple tablespoons of masa. It just gives it this really completely different dimension. It needs a little bit of time to cook with the masa and let it integrate, but this chili is pretty much done. And let me just take a little, little taste of taste of it with the masa added. Mmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that is like just that little addition of that masa like makes everything alive. It actually intensifies the heat a little bit, but in a really, really nice way, in a really round sort of, it's a very complete flavor. I'm just gonna let this go for just another few minutes and then it's gonna be ready. I'm gonna get some Fritos. I'm gonna make myself a nice Frito pie with this. I love Frito pie. I tried to make Fritos one time when I was, I was working at a restaurant and we had some masa around. So I, I made a paste and I rolled it out because Fritos are basically just masa, fried masa with some salt. Like that's it. Except the way that they make them is they extrude them under really high pressure. So there's not like a bunch of air and stuff in there. And they have that, they get that characteristic Frito texture. And the ones that I made, it's totally not worth trying to make your own Fritos. Let's just say that. I mean, they were good. They weren't bad, but they weren't Fritos either. <laughs> so if you're from Texas, I hope you will accept my extremely worthy entry into the pantheon of chili. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Kator Ebane. This is the third episode of the winter 2021-22 season of Check the Pantry. Support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who's worked at Michelin star restaurants in New York and is the only level three sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Additional support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily, commercial properties, and property management in the Southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.
Thank you. 